0: Everyone, thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. We hope that you find encouragement today as you listen. Well, good morning. We're glad you're here with us today. Uh, my name is Bethany Peterson. For anybody who I haven't had the privilege of meeting yet, um, I oversee our youth ministry here at Ridgeway. I work here throughout the week, and I'm excited to be sharing this morning. I believe that the Lord has laid a word on my heart for all of us this morning, um, and so I'm excited for um, for what what this is. And so today we're continuing our conversation about the real Jesus, all right? We, we've been on a journey. If you're joining us for the first time today, or maybe the first or the second time, we've been on a journey this fall of discovering Jesus. We've been diving into the book of John and discovering more of Jesus through the eyes of one of his very closest disciples and friends. And so if you've been around our church for longer than three and a half, four years, you would know that Ridgeway wasn't always our name. Okay, that's no surprise to you. But for those of you that are newer, you might be like, what are you talking about? Okay, so this fall marks our 70th year as a church. And three and a half years ago, we changed the name of our church from Bethesda to Ridgeway. And it was something that we prayed about, and we felt the leading of the Lord in changing our name for multiple different reasons, one of which was to better connect with the community that we feel God has called us into, which is this neighborhood, the Carpenter Ridgeway neighborhood. And, um, you know, Bethesda is sometimes a hard word for people that don't understand the Word of God or haven't read the story of Bethesda. And so we kind of decided to change it for a few different reasons, but Bethesda is still very much a part of our DNA. It's a chapter in our history and a large part of who we are. And Bethesda means house of mercy. And today we're not changing the name of our church back to Bethesda, but if it's okay with you, we're going to take a trip back to ancient Jerusalem. And my message today takes place at the pool of Bethesda. Now, Before we go any further, let's turn in our Bibles to John 5. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. We're going to have it up on the screen, so no pressure. It's all good. But in John chapter 5 this morning is where we're going to be reading, and it starts out in verse 1, and it says this. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. Before we go any further, let's just bow our heads and pray. Lord God, we just thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word. And Lord, this morning as we gather around this story of this healing at the pool of Bethesda, God, we ask that you would make your word come alive to our hearts. Lord, as we go on this journey of discovering more of Jesus this morning, I pray, Jesus, that you'd reveal yourself to us. God, we thank you that your name is above every other name. And Lord, we look to your name this morning for truth and healing and wholeness. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, okay, so before before we go a little further into this, I feel like We didn't grow up in ancient Jerusalem, right? So we need to understand what this pool is all about. What what is the mystery of this pool? Okay, so here's a little information for you, okay? So the Pool of Bethesda was located just outside the city walls, and it was known by all people of that time, both Jews and non-Jews, as a place of healing. It it was like a, a, a space where everybody knew you go there, you get healed. And growing up, I've grown up in the church, I've grown up reading the word of God or having Bible stories told to me in in children's ministry and my parents talking me through the the Bible. And I always kind of imagine the pool of Bethesda like Kalahari, okay? Has anyone been to Kalahari water park? Okay, if you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, it's a place of excitement. Everybody's laughing, everybody's running around. I kind of imagine the pool of Bethesda like Kalahari. Everyone is gathered, people are being healed everyone is happy. It's an exciting atmosphere. But as I begin to dive into this story and research a little bit more, I realized the pool of Bethesda actually had a very, very different atmosphere. You see, the pool of Bethesda was a place of healing, but there were, there were specifications for that healing. Sick people would come to the pool and they would wait by the edge and they would wait patiently and patiently for waters to be stirred because this is what the people at that time believed. The water was still, and they believed an angel would come down. They didn't know when it would happen, but an angel would come down and stir the water. And then the way it worked is the very first person into the water after the waters began moving would be healed, would be completely cured of any disease, of any ailment, of anything that was bothering them, all right? They didn't know when the waters would move. There was no telling. It was was a guessing game. And this is why the pool of Bethesda wasn't like Kalahari. In fact, the atmosphere was probably one of hopelessness and desperation and anxiety, okay? People were nervous. People were waiting at the edge of their seat, not knowing what was going to come next and when they could maybe receive their healing. It wasn't a place of community and friendship. I want you to imagine with me for a moment. Pretend all of us in this room get invited to a, um, a dinner party, okay? All of us, we're, we're all going, we're all, we're all hanging out. We get invited to this dinner party. And, and when, we, when each of us get the invitation for this dinner party, this is what we're told. We're told it's gonna be the best dinner you've ever tasted in your entire life. Come hungry and be ready. And so we show up. Some of us that are really ready for the dinner, we don't eat breakfast or lunch. We show up with the biggest appetite ever. We get to the place and then imagine we all get there And the hosts of the party say, you know what? Something went a little south. The dinner thing's not really going to work out, but we have one slice of pizza. We have one slice of pizza, and you guys have to decide who's going to get it. when we're thinking about that, it's like, okay, no big deal. I'll just run to Chick-fil-A after, not a problem. But imagine this. Imagine no restaurants are there. No no grocery stores are open. You have no chance. You are starving. You were invited to this dinner party. Now there's one slice of pizza, and you have no other options for food, for satisfying your appetite. This is kind of what the pool of Bethesda felt like. People were desperate. People were ready. They were seeking out their healing. And there was only enough healing for one. That was it. It was every man for himself at the Pool of Bethesda. Now, I am a pretty competitive person. Who else in this room, just by show of hands, I'm just curious. Who are my people here? Who else in this room would consider themselves competitive? You kind of, you like a good challenge. You're up for the, okay, all right, all right. I've spotted my people. Okay, so. Us competitive people, it's like we just kind of rise to the occasion. We're like, hey, what? There's a competition? Let's do it. I don't know how it happened, but somehow the other day I found myself in a wall-sit competition with my brother-in-law, Tim. We were hanging out, having dinner. One thing led to another, and somehow a challenge was put in place, and all of a sudden we're over on the wall, wall-sitting. I don't know how that happened. I'm, I'm, I, I want to remain humble. I will say I did win the wall-sit competition. Thank you. Sorry, Tim. But whether you're a competitive person in this place or whether you know someone who's competitive, all right, I want you to try to wrap your mind around this scenario. Imagine if you couldn't walk and you were lying by this pool. Imagine being there for 38 years. And imagine every time the water starts to move and you try to get in, someone always gets in ahead of you. 38 years, and you never win. Can you imagine that? All the competitive people in the room, you're crawling in your skin right now imagining that, right? You're probably thinking, I would have given up on year four. I'd be done, right? 38 years, and I can't begin to fathom what it would have been like waiting for my healing, how disheartening, how discouraging. The pool wasn't a cool place to hang out. It was a place for outcasts and social rejects, the people that the city turned its back on And in this series, we're on this journey of discovering the real Jesus. And the first thing we need to understand about Jesus today, and if you're taking notes, you can write this down, is that Jesus visits the pool. He willingly chooses to go to the very place where social rejects and outcasts linger and wait, where people with sickness and disease spend their day laying around. And none of these people at the pool of Bethesda could do anything for Jesus. They were worthless to him. They couldn't give him anything. They couldn't do it. There was no exchange that could happen. Hey, I'll help you if you help me. These people were just there lying around waiting. And he could have gone any other direction, yet he chooses to pass by the pool that day. I just think that's remarkable. He chose to pass by the pool. Jesus enters into the broken, desolate, and hopeless situations of our lives. It's important that we understand that this morning. He isn't afraid. He isn't afraid of our situations. The lame man at the pool had been there for 38 years, and he never made it in to be healed. And I wonder who in this room can relate to him in some way or another. Maybe you feel left behind. Maybe you feel alone. Maybe you're waiting, and no matter how hard you try, you can't get the healing. You can't get in first. Someone always beats you to the promise. And this is a painful place to be in, but today I want to remind you that you're not forgotten. Jesus sees you, just like he walked by that pool in the cool of that day and saw that man sitting there and bent down and began a, a dialogue and a conversation with him. He sees you where you're at today. He sees you. He calls you by name. He knows you. And your situation isn't too far gone. So often we think we have this idea in our head, especially in like, I feel like in, sometimes in, in our mind with churches, it's like, okay, if I go to church, I have to kind of clean up my act, get, get set, look good on the outside, and then I can come in and act like I'm all put together. That's actually not biblical. That's not what God calls us to do. Jesus is calling us our mess, our burdens, the things that are making us unwhole. He calls all of that to himself. He says, just come to me just the way you are. Come to me. And I want you. I want your mess. I want everything about you that's broken. I love you. And my love doesn't change based on this the, the position that you come to me in. And something we see all throughout the book of John, and as, as we keep Keep unraveling this story. You'll see it time and time and time again as we look to these stories. We see that Jesus is always walking on the scene of people's broken and hopeless situations. He willingly goes there. Jesus visits the pool. The second thing we see this morning is that Jesus calls us out of our condition. Verse 6, he turns to this man and he says, do you want to get well? Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that, it's, it almost sounds borderline insulting, doesn't it? Do you want to get well? Of course he wants to get well. For 38 years, he's been laying by this place that is known for helping people get healed. Jesus, how rude are you, right? Like, that's, that's kind of how I first read that. Like, what on earth? That is just, that just is rude and insulting. And don't you know the situation? But I think what Jesus was doing in this moment by asking him that question is causing that man to locate where he was at, the position he was in. He was asking him to recognize the condition he was in because his condition became his crutch. This man had made a way of life sitting by the edge of that pool of Bethesda. That was his life. That's all he did for 38 years. And I wonder how many times we let our condition become the thing that holds us back from what God is calling us into. Maybe for you, you say, well, I'm an introvert. I'm really not good at talking to people. So it's hard for me to tell people about what Jesus has done in my life. Or maybe you struggle with addiction and you say, I won't ever be able to walk in freedom. Or maybe you come from a long line of divorce and the thought of having a healthy and lasting marriage is just out of the question for you or maybe the doctors have given you a report, and and you don't believe that there's any way your health can change. Whatever it is, our condition isn't meant to be our crutch. Jesus hasn't called us to lay back on, on that condition and let it rule our lives forever. The thing about Jesus is he is constantly in the business of calling us out of our brokenness. He doesn't let us linger and wait. He's merciful. He's loving in the way he does it, but he calls us out of what we're in that's holding us back. He turns to this man and he says, get up. He commands him, get up, take up your mat and walk. Something that I I find very interesting about this part of the story is that Jesus is Jesus, right? He can do anything he wants. And here he is standing by this pool that is known for healing. And I think it's pretty interesting that he didn't speak to the pool and say, hey, waters begin to stir. And that he didn't then, grab the man's hand, and begin to help him into the water. Instead, he chooses to speak to the man at the side of the pool. The lame man thought that he needed the water to be healed, but what he actually needed was living water. He needed Jesus. Jesus. Jesus was the answer for his condition that day. And one chapter before where this story takes place is this story about a Samaritan woman at a well, okay? If you were in connect groups, we kind of dove into this story a few weeks ago and talked about it. But if you weren't, I just kind of want to give you just kind of a brief idea. There's a there's story right before this where Jesus walks up to a well and there is a Samaritan woman there. And he begins to talk with her, and he begins to engage in conversation. He begins to place value on who she is as a person. And the interesting thing is, Samaritans, especially for Jews, were considered the lowest of the low. They were hated in that culture. Samaritans were like the outcast people group. And then on top of that, she was a woman. And women in that culture were trash. They were uneducated. They were worth nothing. And so she was a Samaritan woman. And Jesus chooses to engage in conversation with her and talk with her about who she is. And in this part of the story, Jesus describes himself to the Samaritan woman as living water. And I'm gonna throw this up on the screen for you here. It says this in chapter four, verse 13, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water, he's talking about the water in the well, because here they are standing at the well, she's pulling water up. He says, everyone who drinks This water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He was trying to explain that day to that woman that there's something so much greater than what was in that well that he can offer her. He offers her living water. He offers her something that quenches a thirst that all of us have. And when he walks up to the pool of Bethesda, up to the place where everyone goes to find healing and chooses to heal outside of that place, that's how he makes it happen. Why? Because he's Jesus. And he was showing that man, I believe, and all that would hear it, that he isn't confined to rules and guidelines. He lives outside the box of how it's supposed to be. He's Jesus. He can say one word and brokenness leaves. He can speak one word and blind people are healed. He's Jesus. His name is above every other name. And then he heals the man at the pool of Bethesda. He brings new life and transformation. The water that Jesus brings quenches a deep, deep longing in our souls. And there's nothing else that can fill it. There wasn't anything else that could fill it for that man. There's nothing that can fill it for you and me today. Listen, a promotion at work won't fix it. The perfect relationship won't fix it. All the money in the world and fame, none of that can fix it. And so often we find ourselves kind of chasing those things that feel like they're filling us for a moment. But in the end, the only thing that can quench The thirst deep inside is Jesus Christ, is our Savior. He's a life giver. He's a transformer. He's a restorer. And I love this definition, this word restoration. The action of returning something to a former owner place or condition. Restoration. This is why we believe so strongly in our Celebrate Recovery program here at Ridgeway. (laughs) Because here's the thing, we all have stuff. Let's, let's just like, let's like cut the line. Like we all have stuff in this room. We are all walking through stuff. We are all dealing with stuff. We are all carrying baggage or things in our life that, that maybe need some tweaking. We all have conditions. And if we allow those conditions to stay where they're at, they become a crutch. And they keep us from walking in freedom and wholeness. And that's why every Tuesday night, our doors are open here at Ridgeway. And we offer a space for your soul to find healing and wholeness in the one and only person that can make you whole, which is Jesus. So that's just a little shameless plug, you know? If you got hurts, habits, hang-ups, we all do, Tuesdays, every Tuesday we're here from 6 to 8.30, and we would love to have you. No matter what your current condition is, it's not too big for Jesus to restore Jesus calls us out of our condition. He doesn't leave us where we're at. He calls us out. And then the last thing here that we see about Jesus is that Jesus prioritizes people. In verse 9 through 11, it says this, at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. The day at which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. For him, it was just that simple. The man that just healed me told me to do something, so I'm going to do it, right? But the Sabbath in this day and age, it was an important part of their Jewish culture. We don't fully understand it in our culture because it doesn't hold the same importance, but Sabbath was important, okay? God set Sabbath, a day of rest, in place at the beginning of time when he spoke the world into existence. On the seventh day, he rested. And then from then on, he gave Moses this command that all the Israelites would take a day to rest, to Sabbath, to to not do work. And there were all these regulations for what you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath. And so it was an important day for these people. It was sacred. It was an important law to uphold. But the thing is, the law at this point kind of got in the way of people experiencing freedom. Those religious leaders were upset that the man was carrying his mat. And then when they found out that Jesus healed, they were upset that Jesus healed because of the Sabbath law. Yet Jesus still decides to heal on the Sabbath anyways. He could have come back the next day, I'm sure, That man was still going to be there. He was there for 38 years. I'm sure he would have been there the next day, and Jesus could have made everybody happy, observed the law, and said, hey, I'll be back tomorrow. I'm going to heal you when it's the right thing to do, and then we'll be good, okay? Your healing's coming. He could have done that, but he didn't. He didn't. Why? Because people are always more important than rules and regulations and legalism. In doing this, he shows that people are priority. Jesus broke the rules for the sake of love. And he showed that legalism didn't have a space where he lived. People are important. People are at the very forefront. I'm going to have the band come up. I'm going to come on up and we're going to sing a song here at the end. But here's what I want to read to you. Many of us have heard... 1 Corinthians 13. It's read a lot at weddings. It's the chapter of love. And I was kind of reading this this week, and um, I read it in a different translation, the, the Passion Translation, which is kind of a paraphrase. Creative way of saying things. And I just, I just kind of like the way the words said it in this translation. And so as I read this, we're gonna put it up on the screen, and as I read this, I want you to think about, in terms of love, the way Jesus loved this man at the pool of Bethesda. The way Jesus walked around showing love to those around him. And 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8 says this: love is large and incredibly patient. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. It refuses to be jealous when blessing comes to someone else. Love does not brag about one's achievements, nor inflate its own importance. Love does not traffic in shame and disrespect, nor selfishly seek its own honor. Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. Love joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no delight in what is wrong. Love is a safe place of shelter for it never stops believing the best for others. Love never takes failure as a defeat for it never gives up. I love that line. Love is a safe place of shelter. And love is messy. And love sometimes goes against the flow of how it's supposed to be, right? And if I'm being completely honest with you, Sometimes I feel convicted in this area. And here's why. I'm I'm kind of a tasker. I like efficiency. I like getting stuff done the right way. And something that the Lord has kind of laid on my heart over the last year or so is that sometimes the task, the thing that needs to be done, the right way that needs to be done, can sometimes take priority in my life over people. I I, I struggle to pause sometimes in the moment and give the care to a person, show love to a person, because we gotta get to the next thing. We gotta do that thing. And so that's an area, if I'm being 100% vulnerable, that's something the Lord is working in my life with. And I constantly have to lay that down and say, hey God, people are always, always, always more important than my agenda, more important than the way I think it should be done. People are always priority. Jesus showed us that over and over and over again. There's a story in the Bible where Jesus just found out that one of his closest friends was beheaded and killed. And he's going up to this mountainside to spend time with his father because he is broken and discouraged and really feeling it. And this whole crowd of people comes to Jesus and they're like, hey, 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 Rabbi, teacher, teach us, be with us. They just wanna spend time in his presence. In that moment, Jesus had every single right on planet earth to say, you know what? A really important person to me just died. I'm actually gonna need a minute. I'll be back to feed you later. He could have walked up the mountain and left. And I think we would all be like, yeah, fair, fair, Jesus. That was fair. But instead, Jesus is constantly interruptible. He pauses in that moment and says, hey, you know what? You are valuable. You, all of you, you giant crowd of people that want my attention, you are valuable, and I love you. I love you more than life. That's Jesus. That's the way he lived. That's the way he walked. So a question that I have for myself, and you can ask it to yourself too, is does love have the lead in my life? Do I prioritize people over religious rules and my own agenda? It's always about loving people, and Jesus sets a stunning example of that for us to follow. Where are we getting in the way of people receiving healing and restoration? Where are we getting in the way of people encountering Jesus? Bethesda means mercy, and that man met mercy that day at the pool. He was offered a living water, a water that would never dry up, a water that would forever quench the deep longing in his soul because he encountered Jesus. So who is the real Jesus? He enters into our pain He calls us out of our condition and he places value on humanity. That's who we see Jesus to be in this story. It's incredible. So I ask the team to lead us in this song. If you will just stand with us. We're just going to worship here for a minute and I'm just going to come back up. I want to pray for you, but let's worship to this. All right, and here's the other thing I want to do this morning. I felt so strongly when I was preparing and just reading this story and talking to the Lord about this that there are people in this room that feel like that man at the pool it might not be 38 years that you've been waiting for your promise but one way or another you feel alone you feel forgotten you feel unheard you feel like your mess at times is too much maybe you do feel like everybody always gets to that promise that you're longing for before you and I just so strongly that the Holy Spirit wants to breathe fresh life in every single person in this place so if that's you, if you identify with any or all of that, just lift your hands in front of you, I want to pray for you Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are sufficient we thank you that you are enough for every area of our lives that you are enough for every bit of brokenness for every bit of confusion, for every pain, for every longing, for every feeling of being forgotten. You are enough. And Jesus, I thank you that you call us out of our condition and into your presence, that you call us out of our condition and into your family. Lord, right now, for every person that has their hand lifted, I pray, Lord, that you would fill them afresh with your presence, Lord, I pray that you would enter into the deep places of their soul that are hurting and alone and feeling broken. And God, I pray that you would bring a fresh, fresh anointing of your presence, God. Lord, I thank you that when we have you, we have everything we need. The lie of the world is that we need a number of different things to make us happy, but the reality of truth is that Jesus, when we have you, we have everything we need. We have absolutely everything. And Lord, that means that if things don't go right on Monday morning tomorrow, and if things aren't exactly what we expected a year from now, and if 38 years from now, we're still lying by the pool waiting for that one thing to happen, you are still good enough, Jesus, you are still sovereign in our lives. You are still more than enough. You are our daily bread. You are the living water that quenches every thirst in our soul. And so, Lord, this morning we surrender to you and we invite you, Holy Spirit, to fill us with your presence, to fill us afresh, God. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. Thank you that you're good. Thanks for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, check out our website at www.ridway.church.